Part two of the players with the most approved on this Texas football team in spring practices for the Longhorns this year. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. On today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part two of the players with the most to prove in spring practices this year, part one. Yesterday, we went through every position group on the offense. Today, during part two, we're going through every position group on the defense. Also, on Saturday, while Texas was playing Baylor, in Waco, Dick Vitale made a bold claim, one of the best to ever do it in college basketball. He said that it's time to remove the interim tag from Rodney Terry and make him the full-time head coach of the Texas men's basketball program. I know there's a lot of people that agree with that. I know there's a lot of people that don't agree with that. I discuss all of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yesterday, I did part one, as I mentioned earlier in the open. If you haven't got a chance to check that out, please do. It's on YouTube for your visual. It's on Apple and Spotify for your audio. Wherever you get your podcast, please go check that out. We went through each position group on the offense with the players with the most approved in each position group in spring practices, which now start six days away on March 6th for this Texas football team. Today, in part two, we are going through each position group on the defense. So I appreciate you if you checked out part one, if you're going back to check out part one. And I especially appreciate you for listening to part two right now. I said yesterday and I say all the time that championship level teams are built in the offseason. And we as Texas fans, whoever's listening to this podcast, expect Texas to be a championship level team this season at the conference level. Right? I expect them to compete for their first Big 12 championship and possibly win it since 2018. Now, if they want to overachieve and go in a natty, I'm all for it. But at the conference level, in their last year in the Big 12, this team has the players, the resources, and the coaching staff to go get it done, right? And winter workouts and strength and conditioning are very vital to your success as a football team come September. But spring practices is your first chance to get on the field and really build that foundation and the blueprint on who you want to be as a football team when that first game kicks off in DKR against Rice. And there may not be a lot of opportunities for players to win starting jobs in this year's spring practice. That's a sign of a really good football team with some experience on it, right? But there's a lot of roles on this Texas football team that are up for grabs. And there's a lot of players coming into this spring practice that have a lot to gain or a lot to lose. And so we're going to discuss in part two, the defensive side of the ball today. And for me, I'm going to start with the interior defensive line, the defensive tackles. And last year in 2022, the run defense was vastly improved from 2021, right? Where it felt like there were holes as big as I-35 and running backs were getting to the second level without being touched. A lot of that was cut out last year. And it was really because of the play of Tavondre Sweat, Keandre Coburn, and Moro Ojima, right? This was one of the best run defenses in the Big 12, a top 20 to 25% run defense in the country, you know, top 30 to 40 overall. And really where they excelled, where they were elite in the metric yards per carry allowed, right? One of the best run defenses in the country in terms of yards per carry allowed, right? But now you're losing 
Moro Ojimo and Keandre Coburn to the NFL. So what does your interior defensive line rotation look like? You bring back to Vondre Sweat. He was really good last year. That's a known. I'm comfortable in what I'm getting from him. Byron Murphy, I believe he'll take that next step this year, but he's already shown he's a plus defender for the Longhorns, right? I'm comfortable in what I have in him. But then who else, right? And we know that, you know, Bo Davis says there's no starters, right? There's going to be a rotation of really good players on this defensive line, and especially at this D tackle position, right? These boys too big to be playing 90 to 95% of the snaps anyway. So you're going to have to rely a lot on players coming off the bench to, you know, come in and be as effective as Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy to make sure that this run defense is as good as it was last year or possibly better. And so to me, the two players I have question marks about, the two players with the most approved, coming into spring practice this year are the two players that at least right now might be right behind Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy. And that's Alfred Collins and Sadir Mitchell. So let's start with Alfred Collins. We've been waiting since 2020 to see Alfred Collins be Alfred Collins, right? And at times he's flashed that potential, right? I think he comes into every season with first team, all big 12 potential. He can be that good. And we just haven't seen it, right? We've had more question marks than answers about Alfred Collins more times than not. It's been, where is Alfred Collins? Why isn't he playing? Why aren't we seeing more from him than the few moments where we've been like, damn, he can do that, <laughs> right? And he's very talented. And so you know going into the season that you're comfortable with Byron Murphy and Tavondre Sweat. But as fans, we don't know what we're getting from Alfred Collins. And I can't say that the Texas defensive staff knows what they're getting from Alfred Collins as well. But if you want to sustain what you had in terms of run defense last year and in terms of interior defensive line play, then it's now or never for Alfred Collins, right? You have to take that next step. And to me, this Texas defensive staff led by Pete Kukowski wants to go into the season knowing that they have a plus defender in Alfred Collins and a consistent defender in Alfred Collins. And this is a huge year for him, right? I could see the variance in him having a good year and he could possibly work his way up to, you know, a day two pick in the NFL, right? When the next draft comes around, or if he doesn't have a good year or, you know, we're kind of asking those same questions about Alfred Collins, I could easily see him in the transfer portal at the end of the season. So it's a contract year for Alfred Collins. It's now or never. And to me, for this Texas defense to sustain what they did last year or be better, it starts with Alfred Collins finally reaching that potential we've been waiting to see for three, four years now on the 40 acres. And when you talk about Sadir Mitchell, Outside of Anthony Hill and Cedric Baxter, I think Sadir Mitchell might have the most pressure of any true freshman on him to perform this year. And let me explain that, right? When you look at the outlook for interior defensive line, defensive tackle next year, Alfred Collins is likely gone. Byron Murphy, if he has a good year, he's likely gone. Tavondre Sweat, definitely gone after this season. You're going into the SEC with Sadir Mitchell. You need to know this year if he's a known. In the same way with Alfred Collins, they have a lot to prove during the season, but that starts with spring practices. I think if Sadir Mitchell can come out and have a strong spring practice, that lets this Texas defensive staff know not only can they count on him this year as a rotational piece to make sure that this you know run defense is still really good, but they can count on him being the top dog, right, going into next year as your top defensive tackle when you head into SEC play. So I think Sadir Mitchell is a very talented player. This was a huge recruiting win, getting him from the University of Georgia. And I think if he pans out, he'll be your next kind of Tavondre Sweat, that big anchor in the middle of the defensive line that makes sure that you have one of the top run defenses in the country. But I think he'll be vital this year as a rotational piece. And if he flashes this year, then I think the staff will be confident they're going into next year with Sadir Mitchell as their anchor. If he doesn't show that this year, 
you have more question marks than you want to going into the SEC. If we go to the edge position, Texas, to me, doesn't have that dominant edge player that you could just go say, get me 10 sacks, right? Uh, Baron Sorrell, I think he's comfortable in his position. He had five and a half sacks last year. You're hoping he can get up into that seven and a half, eight range. That's where you start to really talk about a plus edge rusher at the college level. On the other side, I would think that Justice Finkley has the one up on that position right now, but there's a lot of very talented players that could come in and make plays. To me, it's about who will be able to do it on the most consistent basis. And Justice Finkley came in last year as a true freshman and did everything that was asked of him and more, right? There's a reason that he was in the regular rotation from day one all throughout the season, starting with you know, him enrolling early. He came in and attacked everything he needed to do, and that led to him having a big role on this Texas football team. If he's your starter opposite of Baron Sorrell this year, to me, he has the most to prove in spring practices, right? Because last year he came in kind of as your rotational defender. He had a half sack on the year. He was really more proficient with his run defense. We didn't see a lot from him in terms of a pure pass rusher. But if he's going to be a starter at the edge position, you're going to expect that from him now this year, right? And he's going to have to flash in that role. You also have a bunch of very talented, hungry defensive linemen behind him. I mean, you got Ethan Burke, uh, Colton Vassett, Tassili Akana, depending on where they put him, right? Jamon Tapp, Jare Bledsoe, the list goes on and on, right? So Justin Finkley can go into the spring. He can show that he can be a proficient pass rusher and really lock down that edge position opposite of Baron Sorrells. And you go into the season with really no question marks, knowing you have two capable starters and a lot of very talented players in rotation behind them. If Justice Finkley goes into the spring, does not have a good spring or gets outplayed, by one of those players behind him, I could see us going into the season with Justice Finkley still maybe in that rotational role instead of the starting position, which I believe he's on track to earn right now. So I love Justice Finkley. As all of y'all know that listen to this podcast, I think he'll have a really good spring and I think he'll earn that starting spot. But when we talked about players that have the most to prove, I think that means you either have a lot to gain or a lot to lose. And with so many talented players on this defensive line in rotation, waiting to get a starting spot or fighting for a starting spot, if you go out and don't have a strong spring, that's Sadir Mitchell, Alfred Collins, or Justice Finkley, there's somebody behind you ready to take your spot. When we look at the linebacker position, I'm going with Anthony Hill. The reason I'm going with Anthony Hill is because we already know he's going to have a big role on this football team. As I said earlier, Anthony Hill and Cedric Baxter probably have the most pressure to perform right away as true freshmen based on, you know, what's at their position. You're losing DeMarvian Overshawn at linebacker and you're losing Roshan Johnson and B. John Robinson at running back. So Cedric Baxter and Anthony Hill have to come in and take over those roles, right? And you know that Jalen Ford is going to be your middle linebacker and leader of the defense, but off ball linebacker, that's going to be Anthony Hill. When you come in as the number one linebacker in the country, there's going to be expectations, but also you're replacing one of the best defensive players at the 40 acres in recent memory in DeMarvian Overshawn. And we saw last year when DeMarvian Overshawn and Jalen Ford were on the field together, they were one of the best linebacker duos in the country, not just in the Big 12. We saw vast improvement from the defense last year. Can Anthony Hill step in in that DeMarvian Overshawn role and continue to be as effective as DeMarvian Overshawn was last year to make sure that this defense can be as good or better than it was in 2022. I think Anthony Hill 
has all of the tools, right? We've heard everything about him from his athleticism, right? It's somebody that can squat 550 pounds and also ran track, right? He played running back. So he's big, physical, has the speed, um, has the football IQ, and he has the leadership. He just everything you look for in a linebacker to be great at the 40 acres, whether it's in the Big 12 or in the SEC. And to me, if he goes out and has a strong year at the off-ball position, then you're comfortable making him your middle linebacker for the next two to three years at the 40 acres, like I said, whether it's in the Big 12 or in the SEC. But to me, that starts with the strong spring practice, right? They've already kind of asserted he's going to have a big role this year, but spring practice has to confirm that. When you see him on the football field, he has to look different, right? He has to pop. You have to say, yeah, that's why he's the number one linebacker in the country, and he has either Big 12 or SEC player of the year on the defensive side potential so I expect a lot from Anthony Hill and I think it starts in spring practices you need to go into the season knowing Anthony Hill can feel that DeMarvian overshone role even as a true freshman from day one next to Jalen Ford at the cornerback room I'm going with Terrence Brooks as the player with the most approved the reason I say that is because I know what I have in Ryan Watts and I believe he's locked down as that boundary corner or maybe field corner I get him mixed up sometimes I know what I have at the star position in Jade Barron he was one of the best nickel corners in college football last year I'm comfortable in what I have at that position with the loss of Deshaun Jameson we saw Multiple players try to fill that role last year. Austin Jordan, when he came in, I thought he played well. I'm not sure if you want to lean on him being your starting corner, but I thought he played well, right? Terrence Brooks, when they put him in at the end of the season, he played well, even almost had that game change of play against Washington where he kind of got his hands on a pick six, just didn't bring it in and obviously didn't take it to the end zone. And then you brought in Gavin Holmes, who has two years of experience starting in the ACC at Wake Forest. So I think that this is Terrence Brooks' job to lose, and I think if he can come in and play like he did at the end of the season last year, show improvement, show maturity, show development going into year two, then he should be the starter going into the season. But like I said, when you've brought in somebody for two years of ACC experience who's been a plus starter right in the ACC, there's going to be a lot of competition at that position. So to me, Terrence Brooks has the inside track to starting with this being his second year in P. Kukowski's system, even though Gavin Holmes has more experience, he has less experience in P. Kukowski's system than Terrence Brooks does. If Terrence Brooks can come out and have a strong spring, then I think this is his position to lose outside of Ryan Watts and then next to Jade Barron as your starting corners. And I would feel very comfortable with Terrence Brooks, Jade Barron and Ryan Watts as my starting cornerbacks with Malik Muhammad, Austin Jordan, Jalen Gilbo and Gavin Holmes as rotational pieces on this Texas football team. But I know Gavin Holmes coming in as a transfer. He feels like, you know, that's his starting position to lose. Terrence Brooks feels like that's his starting position to lose. It's going to be a very interesting battle in spring practices, but I think Terrence Brooks should and will come out on top. And then when you talk about the safety position, I thought about saying Jalen Catalan just because of the injury concerns. And, you know, it's two years since he's flashed that all SEC potential that we know that he has. And so you can say that he has a lot to prove just because, you know, really more so because he's been injured the last two years. He's more of a question mark at this point. We would expect if he's healthy to get a really good safety, but we don't know that. Right. But I still expect if he's healthy to be one of the best safeties in the conference, right? He's proven that in the toughest conference in the SEC level. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Jaron Thompson, I thought he was really good this year. I expect him to be better. He's more of a known at the safety position. I don't have question marks about him. I thought about saying Michael Taft, right? Coming out, if he's your next rotational piece in that safety room, 
But I'm like, Michael Tav, he's been here forever. He's just a football player. Like, he's going to make plays, right? He might be out of position at times. There might be some plays he can't make. But there's definitely – he's just a football player. He's going to make plays for this football team. If Jalen Catalan gets hurt, who is that next safety off the bench? Like I said, it could be Michael Tav. I have the feeling they're going to move him around and just kind of him be a chess piece on this defense. Derek Williams might be the best non-talked-about player in this 2023 recruiting class. John Garcia has said multiple times he could come in and play right away. Somebody that, you know, nowadays we see safeties that either have to play in the box or they have to play, you know, too hot, right? We rarely see safeties, especially coming out of high school, that can do both right away. And I think Derek Williams has a strong physical frame. He can play down in the box and be that extra run defender, play close to the line of scrimmage but also can play in a traditional safety role cover and be your last line of defense, right? He's that good of a player. I think, you know, he's a top 50 player in the country and we don't talk about him enough when we talk about this 2023 class. So um, I think he has the potential with a strong spring to be that next safety off the bench. If anything happens to Jaron Thompson or Jalen Catalan, or if that's just the rotation, right? If they want to get some fresh players in there, I think Derek Williams has that potential. And we saw uh, with Jaden Allen decommitting, a lot of people have, you know, speculated that maybe, that means that B.J. Allen might be entering the transfer portal. One of the biggest reasons for that is them bringing in a safety with the caliber and talent of Derrick Williams. So I expect him to have a big role this year. But if he's going to have a big role this year, that starts with a strong spring. So this finishes part two of our players with the most approved in spring practices this year, going through each position group. Sadir Mitchell and Alfred Collins on the interior defensive line, Justice Finkley at the edge position, Anthony Hill at linebacker, off-ball linebacker, Terrence Brooks at corner, and Derrick Williams at safety. A quick word from Bilt Bar. And then I tell you my thoughts on Dick Vitale saying that we should remove the interim tag from Rodney Terry and make him the full-time head coach of this Texas men's basketball program. Looking for a delicious treat, but don't want all of the fat and the calories. Then you have to try a built bar. We just got through the holidays and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me where you want to eat healthier, but don't want to compromise taste and man, I've got just the thing for you. You've got to try built with built healthy is actually tasty. Seriously. They're so delicious. You won't think they're good for you. Perfect for your new year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they are all covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right, real chocolate with amazing flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. And what's even better is that they are healthy. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't need to wait around to get a box. For years, we've been talking about ordering your Built Bars at Built.com. So now you can get them at your local Walmart or Sam's Club. You can head to the website. You can come to my house, wherever you can get your built bars. You need to get them today. Dick Vitale is a legend in college basketball, one of the best to ever do it. And I really got sad the other day listening to him call the Baylor-Texas game because I'm like, I grew up on Dick Vitale. You know, I grew up on Lee Corso. And, you know, they're getting older. And, you know, you have to come to that reality that one day, there's going to be a world where you watch college game day and there's no Lee Corsa and you're watching college basketball games and there's no Dick Vitale. And so I just got a little bit sad thinking about that because like I said, you know, these are two fixtures and something I love in sports and college athletics. And uh, it's really been there my whole life, you know, and it just, you know, one day it's going to suck to not be able to listen to Lee Corso, not see him put on that, that head, you know, on college game day and not, you know, listen to Dick Vitale and all his crazy sayings, you know, diaper dandy, <laughs> all of those crazy things. Man, he's just one of the best things to ever happen to college basketball, right? The game would not be what it is without Dick Vitale. Same thing with Lee Corso on the college football side.
but I'm watching the game and, you know, obviously Texas is up 14, 18 to four. Uh, Keontae George goes out. They didn't get outscored 77 to 54. Baylor kind of punches them in the mouth. Texas doesn't punch back. Right. So Texas fans, they're kind of down watching the game. Right. Because you're like, damn, you know, this is a game we should have won and then we lost. And then in the midst of that, right, where a lot of Texas fans are probably overreacting and being like, oh, we need to fire Rodney Terry. Like, you know, <laughs> he's obviously not the right man for the job. Look at this pathetic effort. Dick Vitale makes a bold claim. And he says, I've seen enough. In the midst of Texas blowing a 14-point lead, I've seen enough. Rodney Terry has earned the right to be the full-time head coach of this Texas men's basketball program. He was here under Rick Barnes. He was mentored under Rick Barnes. He loves the University of Texas. He came back to work with Chris Beard, and he's done a hell of a job this year. These are all things that Dick Vitale said. He has earned this job, and it is time for them to remove the interim tag. And when he said that, I said, Dick Vitale, you don't know how polarizing you are right now. Because it's a lot of people that might agree with you, but it's a lot of people that don't. And my stance on it is I do agree with Dick Vitale. I do think it's time to remove the interim tag. I do think it's time to make Rodney Terry the full-time head coach of the Texas men's basketball program. And I think we understate what Rodney Terry has been able to do. Rodney Terry woke up on December 12th and found out he was the head coach of this men's basketball program. And since then, he has been 15 and six as a head coach in the best conference in college basketball. This team not only did not quit on Rodney Terry, they rallied around Rodney Terry. And to me, we don't give him enough credit for that. In fact, people act like it's easy. Like this Texas basketball team is just so good that anybody could coach them to success, right? Like Rodney Terry is not doing the everyday job of being the head coach of some college kids, right? And keeping them focused on everything they've went through this season while also watching them rally around them. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Do your players play for your head coach? The answer is clearly yes with Rodney Terry. As I've said, he's taken lemons and made Chick-fil-A lemonade. On December 12th, they told him, you're the head coach of this Texas men's basketball program. And since then, he's been 15 and six. He's exceeded all of our expectations. None of us would think it was crazy if this team just fell off the map, right? Based on what they had to deal with it in Not only did that not happen, Rodney Terry has led them to the second in the Big 12 Conference, the hardest conference in basketball, with a chance to share the regular season title if they beat TCU and Kansas this week. Rodney Terry is a legitimate Big 12 Coach of the Year candidate, right? I'm not just saying that. I'm not making it up. He's a legitimate Big 12 Coach of the Year candidate. So when I look at it, he has six losses. Five of them were to teams that are either ranked in the top 15 currently or were ranked in the top 15 at the time. Kansas, the defending national champions. Tennessee was a top five team. Kansas State is currently ranked 11. Iowa State was ranked 13th at the time. Baylor's currently a top 10 team. Those are the teams he's lost to. And then outside of Texas Tech, that might look like a bad loss. I don't think ever losing in Lubbock to Texas Tech is a bad loss. But if Texas Tech beats TCU on Saturday, they're probably in the NCAA tournament. So he doesn't have a bad loss this year, and he has not lost back-to-back games. Now, we'll see what happens tomorrow night against TCU. That's going to be a tough game in Fort Worth. But to this point, Rodney Terry has not lost back-to-back games. So if he's 15-6 and as a head coach, winning 70% of his games, he's a Big 12 Coach of the Year candidate. He's second in the hardest conference in basketball with a chance to share the regular season title. He has not 
had a bad loss this season. The team has rallied around him, and he has not lost back-to-back games this year. What's the argument against him? And I know that we want to have the flash, and and we think we're going to bring in this great coach that's just going to be able to, you know, exceed what Rodney Terry was able to do in the middle of the season. But who is it? At the beginning of the season, people were saying, Nate Oates, do you want him now with what happened to Alabama? Eric Musselman, Arkansas has been largely disappointing compared to preseason expectations. John Calipari, Kentucky hasn't been ranked for most of the year. Who else? To me, it's either you give Jay Wright a blank trick or you bring back Rodney Terry. And the thing that bothers me is, is the goalpost keeps getting moved around where Rodney Terry is done. When Rodney Terry wins a game, we say, okay, well, let's see what he does in the Big 12 and NCAA tournament. And then when he loses a game, we say, I've seen enough. Good assistant, but he can't be a head coach. Why do we do that for Rodney Terry? And why did we not do that for Shaka Smart or Chris Beard? And that's not to say that people weren't screaming to get Shaka Smart out of there towards the end. But I feel like we're holding Rodney Terry to a higher standard than we held either one of those coaches to. Because when you look at it, Shaka Smart never won an NCAA tournament game. Never. He coached here for five years. So you're telling me that Rodney Terry has to do something in his not even first full year as a head coach at the University of Texas that Shaka Smart never did. Last year, this Texas basketball team went 22 and 12 overall. That includes the Big 12 Conference Tournament and the NCAA Tournament. They went 22 and 12 overall. This Texas team right now is 22 and 7. I know you're going to say this is a better roster. That is true. But the fact that if Rodney Terry wins one more game, they'll already have a better season than they had last year, speaks to what Rodney Terry was able to do being thrown this job in the middle of the season. Last year in the Big 12 tournament, this Texas team came in as a four seed, I believe. They were ranked higher than TCU, who they played in the first round. They blew a 20-point lead to TCU and did not win a game in the Big 12 tournament. I did not hear anybody chastising Chris Beard for that or saying Chris Beard was not the man for the job. If that happened to Ronnie Terry this year, if Ronnie Terry blows a 20-point lead in the first round of the Big 12 tournament, I can guarantee you the tone will be different. And my question is why? Why are we holding Ronnie Terry to a different standard than we held Shaka Smart to in his first year or Chris Beard? All right. And then when you looked at the NCAA tournament, people are telling me that Ronnie Terry to keep this job has to at least get to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight. Last year, Chris Beard won in the first round against Virginia Tech and then lost in the second round. He did not get to the Sweet 16 or Elite Eight. He did not make it out of the first weekend. And we all said this Texas basketball team is on the right track. So my question is, based on what we have seen this season, based on the fact that people are saying, well, can Rodney Terry recruit? You think you really think Rick Barnes was the one bringing in all the players all the years? Not to say no disrespect to Rick Barnes. We think he was bringing them by himself. You think Rodney Terry had nothing to do with that? You think Rodney Terry had nothing to do with some of the players that's on this team right now? And the fact that he still has two top 15 players brought in in this class, a lot of people have already said that if everything goes well at the University of Texas, Ron Holland, one of the best players in the country, he'll be a lottery pick in next year's NBA draft. A.J. Johnson, one of the best combo guards in the country coming out of California. Jason Jordan says he's ranked 15th and might be underrated. 
This Chris Beard thing happened over two months ago, and they're both still committed to Rodney Terry and the University of Texas. He's winning 70% of his games as a head coach. He's a Big 12 Coach of the Year candidate. They're second in the toughest conference in basketball with a chance to share the regular season title. He has no bad losses, has not lost back-to-back games, has two top 15 five-stars committed to him in the class next year, and the team has rallied around him. And you're telling me he has to get to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight to keep his job? That's crazy. Once again, if you can't get Jay right, you know, I'm all for it, right? That's a national championship winning coach at Villanova. If you give him a blank check and he takes it, I'm comfortable bringing in Rodney Terry. I mean, I'm comfortable bringing in Jay Wright. If Jay Wright doesn't want this job, you tell me who will be better than Rodney Terry. And you tell me with a straight face that he hasn't earned it in the 21 games that he's coached so far. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day hook them pigs